Welcome back. I'm here again with Dr. Dale Graff. Dale, yes. welcome. Okay, well, you're on back again. <laughs> so in the last episode, we talked about questions over the fundamental nature of time, how time works when we're trying to explain remote viewing. Part of that is I know that since the unit closed, you've done a lot of work on dreams, lucid dreaming, and precognition. And since we're talking about time, first, how did you get into that? And how does all this stuff work? Yeah, my interest in the, the idea of precognition, the concept of precognition actually goes back to childhood when I had dreams that seemed to have unusual information that I later learned was something I couldn't have known, unexpected visitors, that kind of thing, that came around, and other things, finding things. So that started my interest in how dreams can actually be a, a way of being open to information from the future, whatever the future is. Because I put that aside and didn't do much with that until many years later, when I had a little bit more time and I, I came back to actually set up experiments that, that were based on uh, dreaming. I was working with dreaming during the remote viewing program all the time. It was something I did in the evening, of course. It was easy for me to do that. And I could work independent of anybody. So I, I would set up personal projects that, that involved dreaming about things I would see later or people I would meet what would they look like, or situations that would, would happen during the week that I might need to know about. So I, I, I always kept open uh, to that possibility. And then actually set aside time, usually one out a week when I would say, this is the time I want to have a, a dream, well, really, or any kind of impression. But it was, uh, dreams were working better for me, to, and they still are. Dream about anything of interest within the next week, or especially if, if I was traveling, I would set up the objective um, into dream about anything of interest that, that I would encounter during, during the trip that's coming up. And I would find it that I could do that. So it was that practical application of, of using dream work in a precognitive mode that also brought me into setting up specific experiments. Then I worked with people that helped me out or, or joined into projects that really were already designed like that. And, um, and the, the associative remote viewing technique, I worked with, with that protocol, only we were, as a group, only we were using dreaming the remote viewing style to perceive one of the two correct pictures or actual picture that would correlate with a future event associating it with either a sporting event or a stock market level. So I worked years on projects like that as well. So eventually came to the point where, yeah, this is a fairly reliable process. And I found it was quite reliable when it came to personal issues things that I would encounter myself in, in a week or days ahead. And I would keep track of that. And I just not, can't do it scientifically and do statistics on it, but I can certainly keep records and, and demonstrate that through, through record keeping, whether it be personal journals or whether it be recording on an email sent to myself at that time. So in, in keeping track of, of this, it's that kind of application that I pursued over the years. And I don't do it now anymore, but I, when years ago, I, I did workshops with people in the local areas 
and emphasized that they develop an ability to recall dreams and found that working with them was useful for them as well as for me. And then we would set up projects to, to work on them too, where they would say, where am I going to be three days from now? And they may not even know themselves exactly, but they're going to be at two o'clock in the afternoon, for example. So we, we would do that kind of thing. Just to keep in touch with this precognitive ability, we just uh, assumed it worked and had many debates on theory and how and how can this occur, uh, like we d- discussed earlier. But then we just finally say, well, it's a feature of the universe. We just have to accept it and, uh, and maybe let philosophers and theologians or whoever is interested in in, the, in time and the future and the so theoretical physicists who, who think about this kind of thing. But it just is, does not seem to be part of, of physics that we can relate to. We can talk about non-locality. We can talk about retrocausation, the idea of time flowing backward and sending signals from the future to the present. But that, like I mentioned in the earlier discussion, it's not going to really satisfy an understanding of, of how can we tap in to future information. And, and some of the work I did that became published in an American Institute of Physics publication had to do with some work I did with them, specifically dreaming about news pictures, photos that would appear in, uh, that would be published in the future news. One series of experiments was for three days ahead, and another was for seven days ahead. And I never expected the one seven days ahead to, to have any kind of reliability, but those dreams also were accurate. And these were pictures that could not be predictable from current news trends. Uh, it was just a certain page in a certain area of a newspaper. Well, and when, you, when you say a certain page, do you, prior to going to sleep, do you specify what that page number is going yeah, to be well, in what section? Yes, because this particular paper, before it, it uh, sold out to a syndicated version, <laughs> you no longer can do that. It's uh, too many advertisements. But at that time, a particular page, and it, it varied between page number six and seven, usually page six, there was always one section called Around the World News that was consistent page day after day after day. And that picture in there was just a random thing that the, the editor would select from stacks of 100 that were given to him and then from the Associated Press photographers that was sent to him. I even talked to the editor about this. And I asked him how he chose those pictures. You know, I, you know, I look at a few and some seem good, some don't seem good. I just choose one. So, but and these pictures were just about anything, you know. <laughs> this a little contest here and there, a, a strange looking dog, uh, you know, <laughs> nothing to do with current news. But they were great targets because they, they couldn't be guessed. They couldn't be deducible from uh, anything that the rest of the paper had or that they had been published any time. But just totally different. It was perfect uh, for um, this kind of experimentation. And these and these were real live events. It could be people standing in a certain angle or costume or or, or waiting for somebody or uh, some of them included accidents. It's just seven days ahead uh, that might have been weather-related or, or person-created. And th- these were also attainable in dreams. So uh, with this kind of correlation, really, I wonder about the future. You know, How is it that these pictures are not even existing anywhere? 
at all. They're not even planned, most of them. And the positioning of the photographer and all the people in them have to be so precise in order for that photo to be reproduced as it is. So how do all these actors come together <laughs> in a still photograph that far ahead in time? And then there are many photos that could have been selected, but that was the one that was selected. So it's it's a puzzle. It's a really a mystery. But you know, as the phenomena is, it's a, a mystery. And it, it tells us that once again, not just because people experience profound precognitions or once-in-a-lifetime deals, for example, but, but, but what I'm talking about here are the, the small, simple things, an unusual photo that you'll be looking at seven days from now. There, there it is in the future already waiting for you. So how can that be? <laughs> and, and when you say that correlation's high, what's the hit rate? On these predictions well, for seven days, series of, the one I the one I did that was a, a really good control. We did the thirty two or thirty three sessions. I was working with a colleague on these, and I had statistics on that. About seventy percent of them had really good correlation. Another twenty percent had uh, moderate. And then there, there were the ten percent that no, I don't know where it was. <laughs> don't know. There's somewhere else. But it didn't connect. So it's not 100%. Not 100%. But yeah, that's we, still significantly better than chance. Yeah. Now, in, in the long-term project I worked on with two photos that were selected based on a future outcome of a, of a sports event or a, or a stock market level, again, that was also around 65 70%. So, yeah, they're not perfect, but they do hold up. Now, in the, in the, in the examples I'm giving you here with associative technique, which is a binary process where you have one of two pictures, one of them will be correlating with a, a future outcome that your colleague will, will learn at that time later on when the event occurs. And then uh, that picture is designated as the target, the one that you could dream about three a couple of days earlier. The information that comes through just kind of limited just to that picture. You, you don't have thousands of others floating around from the Associated Press anywhere. So it's a more of a limiting thing, but I, I didn't see a great deal of accuracy difference between the quality there when you know it's going to be one of two you don't know which one of two you're blind to them or the accuracy that occurs in the newspaper with seven days ahead from from the stacks of a hundred of them i've done experiments for with colleagues have set up the task for dreamers and this is a group project that's involved in several of these over the years and the target that she selects three days later is randomly selected by a, a random page that she determines and goes to an art book and opens up to that page. So here you have a thick art publication that might have hundreds of pages in it, and the number is randomly selected, and that's the page that you end up dreaming about. I mean, you know, these are the things that you do and you don't think about them too much afterwards. Well, even the probability of getting this stuff right it, by chance is not 50%. It approaches zero, right? Yeah, that's, that's why I'm using that example because you, you go into stacks of uh, possibilities. So, um, yeah, and, and, uh, it, it has more strength in, in terms of convincing people than it, than it does by the, the binary method. How does somebody do this? Let's say somebody in the audience wants to start 
trying to do this process tomorrow. How do you do it? You know, it's deceptively simple. This is the whole issue with the whole field. It's not that complicated. We, We tend to make it complicated. The key thing is belief and acceptance. You get get around that. And maybe that's not so so difficult in today's world with the internet and all the information floating around. You know, in the seventies, this was a difficult thing. But for, when I do the do workshops, or even now when people are talking about this, they're very simple. I'll say, if you want to do dream work on this, then tonight when you, right before you you go to the sleep or during the day. Just simply keep repeating to yourself, I'm going to remember. Now, if you, okay, let me back off. If you don't remember dreams at all routinely, then you need to develop a practice of remembering dreams. And you might take you a couple of nights or even a couple of weeks to get to the point where you can remember and record a dream fairly accurately. Okay. So now we, we, we dream about 20 to 30% of the time anyway. I'm, I'm talking about what's called rapid eye movement dreams where you actually have scenes you look at and this is how people researchers identified that these dreams were occurring they would watch people while they were sleeping in the sleep lab and whenever their eyeballs started moving around they would wake them up and say what's going on oh we're looking at a dream so you you know that's a a valid assessment that 20 25 percent of the time you have these kinds of dreams so you're happening anyway. So you're not intruding on your mind that night at all. So what do you do is set the intention tonight. Once you get to the point of remembering dreams fairly reliably, then then you say, okay, now tonight I'm going to dream about something in the future. You know, leave it open-ended to something that's coming up this week. Or if you have a colleague that chooses a picture for you to dream about, or you can do it yourself with a magazine that you don't that you haven't opened. Just say tonight I'm going to dream about a, a picture on page number thirty-two. You know, you can do it randomly, and and you say, okay, I intend to dream about the content of a picture on that page or whatever the object is, and and you write the objective. You might want to do it repeatedly several times during the day, and I write it again at night oh, in a journal and keep notes of it. When you wake up, you just jot down brief notes what the dream was about. And then as soon as possible in the morning, compare it to the target objective. So you do this several times and you'll find that's working for you. And it may not be 100% accurate, but you'll see enough in there to say, yeah, I really did get that feature of that unusual picture or whatever. It doesn't have to be unusual. Uh, any kind of picture. So you work at it. It's, it's simply a matter of uh, <clears throat> intending, uh, believing, and intending and, and keeping at it and practice, keep practicing for a while. So um, in, intention and uh, keeping track, writing things in a journal is helpful because it shows that you are serious about what you want to do and you want to keep track of it. So um, keeping records, getting feedback, and uh, there you are. You're on your way to remembering a picture that you, know, you have no way of knowing about, <laughs> but then you'll see it later and find that it correlated to that, that dream. Now, are there any books folks should check out in order to get better at this or to learn more about the process? Yeah. Dream Recall is full of books. There's so many things about on, on dream work that exists. The International Association for the Study of Dreams has annual conferences of the many members that are 
with ASD, the Association for the Study of Dreams, the, the, the many books available that, that their members have published. Just Google dream work, anything with dream space or the Association for the Study of Dreams, and you will find a reference to, uh, to resources there as well. So that's, I think, the easiest way to start with dream work. Uh, most bookstores will have this section. But yeah, you can find it on Amazon probably pretty easily. Yeah. Just dig around, <clears throat> you'll find it so much. I also have written two books, and, well, but they're out of print, so I'm not going to promote them right now. I'm hoping to have an update to those. Uh, I will really focus more on the very thing we're talking about here. But but basically, you'll, you'll find guidance in the, in the ASD archives here. And how long did it take you to get good at this? Did it happen relatively quickly, or is it something that, like you said, yeah, takes some time? Yeah, it's an interesting question. As, as a young kid, you know, I, I didn't have too much trouble remembering dreams. And then uh, the, the spontaneous precognitive ones were too few and far between for me to make any kind of conclusion and how reliable they could be for me. And then um, when I finally got back to this many years later, it did take me a while. It might have taken me several months, but part of that was a resistance. I really hadn't got to the point of really accepting the phenomena, even though I did as a kid. It, just, it took me a long time to get back to that. But, but once I got past certain psychological bar- barriers, then it was just right there. You know, the next night, there it was. And once I made, once I decided to keep a dream journal, take it seriously. The very second dream was a very startling precognitive dream. So I wasn't even expecting it. So there it was. Then after that, I didn't have too much trouble setting the intention to have precognitive dreams, not just ordinary dreams. But working with dreams is useful for another aspect, not just for the precognitive material, but uh, they're really great from a, a personal point of view. As well, you know, they kind of keep us on the, the level, so to speak, and we, we monitor our own situation. And, and uh, dreams, are, dreams are like a mirror that you look at. You know, is that really me? <laughs> Does that really represent me <laughs> in the dream? You know, so they're they're really good from that point of view. Yeah, and they're also very good from a health point of view. They they they, they tend to prevent it. They present information relative to them. Maybe some health issues and that might be emerging that you're not, not aware of. A friend of mine actually wrote a book on all this when he had a, a very vivid dream that uh, had to do with a problem that he couldn't figure out. It looked physical, but it's something wrong somewhere in, in the nose area, wherever it was. And ultimately, the, the doctors wouldn't find, they couldn't find anything wrong until. So finally, after about the third visit, they did discover the beginning of, of cancer there, and they were able to operate successfully. And they, they, this is an example. These stories, there are many stories like that. People having dreams about a certain red spot showing up in a certain part of their body, but there's nothing that can be found when they go to the doctor. But then the next visit or two visits later, there they find the beginning of, uh, of something that needs to be attended to. So our sleeping mind is monitoring ourselves, our bodies. These are not necessarily called precognitive, prodromal, I think is the word given, but they're still extremely useful and and are probably more valuable than any precognitive dream because they affect us very directly and dramatically. And of course, 
issues having to do with personal relationships show up in dreams too. So um, ways to resolve issues, problems, and communication. Working with dreams is extremely beneficial. And then when you, you tie it in to the precognitive features, hey, listen, you got a real good thing going. <laughs> and it's straightforward. You just simply intend to remember dreams and set aside some some easily verifiable objective independently or with a colleague. Where's this information coming from? Is it coming from your subconscious or the collective unconscious or from somewhere that's not you? Okay. A lot of the information is your own subconscious. Now, some of the deeper dreams, particularly those that occur in in a type of dreaming that we're calling lucid dreaming, there you seem to be entering into a different type of sleep domain where you do have archetypal figures, where you do have elements that go beyond uh, your, your ordinary consciousness, awareness, different layers of reality that show up there. You even contact with a deceased personalities. You know, you, you seem to be entering into that area, that mode uh, as well. So whatever that is, is it a collective unconscious or is it just simply an, another domain of, of existence, which is both looks like it has personal aspects as well as it does symbolic aspects, uh, energetic aspects. So there's a huge area that lucid dreamers can explore here for different insights in, in terms of how the universe is <laughs> at that level in, in the mental frame uh, uh, exists in terms of its different energy forms and, and beings and whatever. It's, it's a mythological world uh, in there. <laughs> Is the DOD doing anything with this stuff, or is it just too far out there for them to get involved? Well, I don't think there's any, well, if there's any dream work interest in the DOD, it might be the life science departments where they might consider working with dreams useful from a human factor's point of view, from along the lines we were just talking about here, from another developing skills, for example. Mm-hmm. I know some sports figures are, are very open about using lucid dreaming for improving the, the particular thing they want to develop. And think many years ago, Arnold Palmer, the well-known golfer, used lucid dreaming to practice golf swings. There's a basis for that at the Harvard Medical School has people actually follow this and look at the effects of dreams on physiology and how this might improve skills. So this is a big area that I think can be developed. And it may be that there are elements within the Department of Defense or elsewhere in the government that actually look at this. I'm not aware of any per se, but some years ago, there was a group that was looking at intuition development to aid in you know, the combat, for combat people to go into the front line, so to speak, to to be better able to respond to the complex scenarios, fast-moving situations that might be developing and improved intuition can get them, um, help them out in. The dream work, not necessarily, in that, in that study, but I think it, it kind of follows from it if they really follow it. Now, Unofficially, I had a, a colleague or, or a friend that when stationed in um, Iraq for six months to a year um, as a medic in a medical unit, actually took a survey of army troops 
that came to the clinic and would ask them whether they had any dreams of, of, of any interest. And out of the case study that he obtained over that period of time of some 50 reports, it might have been more, about half of them had to do with pre-cognitive dreaming. And some of those dreams related to incidents on the home front, not on a battle scene coming up the next days. So this is an informal study, and the official army command would never let him move forward with it. But so these things are happening anyway to the people in the in the field, and you know they keep it to themselves. But you know use use the, the material, and I, I think that the more people are aware of it, to particularly if you are going to be traveling in in, in some in harm's way, the better off you are to to be prepared for what's around the corner for you. One of the big things I was trying to do right before I left, before I retired, was to get to get groups, to get elements in government who have people who are going overseas or anywhere where they might be exposed to trouble or potential threats, to be more alert to their intuition, to, to pay attention to dreams, or, or even to consider taking a refresher in intuition development or or remote viewing if they want to listen to that and, and go to that step. But I, I never could get anywhere. I could never get past the official psychologist. And I did not have a degree in psychology, so they didn't listen to me. <laughs> now, what was the most significant precognitive dream you've ever had? You know, something that may have either saved your life or predicted something that was helpful or useful in your life? Yeah, I've had quite a few. I, I would say the, the ones that were really helpful for me were the ones that alerted me to a friend's unexpected death. Those, those are always difficult things. And to be alerted to that when the individual is in good health and you don't think anything bad could happen to them, yet to have the dream that said, oh, look out, something is going to happen to your good friend. And uh, these kinds of dreams are not necessarily literal. In fact, they usually are not. They, they're kind of symbolic. You have to play through a little bit of the symbolism there. So that, those are really significant for me. I've had dreams that occurred on uh, some of my remote river trips, for example, that I think were really helpful for keeping me out of trouble the next day because I was more alert to the, the situation which wasn't apparent on the topographic maps. And uh, yeah, a, a dream presented a situation that really tough rapids like, that just wasn't clear. Um, and and they sort of stay away from that side. Now, it's the one that had the, the huge south hole and uh, that could get sucked into. So, and, and that happened from a, a collapse of the wall, which couldn't possibly have shown up on the topographic map. So, and then there were, other incidents that were alerts to uh, just unusual situations, not necessarily life-threatening, but just enough to make me pay more attention in, in the travels ahead. And then, of course, there were the, the big ones that I couldn't really do anything about, like 9-11 disaster or other airplane uh, crashes. Uh, they weren't what you would saw, what you could call dreams that were helpful for me directly. But what they alerted me to the potential that uh, we have this ability and we were able to tap into it in a larger sense as a society. And, and maybe we could band together and prevent the terrorists from taking over the airplane. 
for example, or do something to your word to avoid some approaching natural uh, explosion somewhere from whatever cause it might be. So the potential is there, but I think as a society, we are a long way from applying it beyond what we can do at a personal level by just simply not to go there, to avoid it, not to go on the airplane if that's the one that you really think might have a, a problem. And I worked years ago with an individual that actually did that. He got off, did, did not go on a particular flight he was scheduled on, and that was the flight that had to, the disaster. So it was actually a life-saving thing for him. And I haven't had those kinds of uh, situations, but uh, yeah, I can kind of see how that how that can happen. And sometimes even simple things. Uh, years ago, in the Washington, D.C. area, as an active member of the Sierra Club, on the weekends, we take groups into into the Shenandoah Mountains to on, on hikes and retreats and whatever. And, and there were times, even before the trip began, I'd have a dream about a certain individual or a certain situation, and I was, I was alerted to it. I was alerted to uh, an individual that might might react to these things, and um, was able, to, you know, for example, to be prepared for that and had the right equipment with me. So. Little things, but they they add up because they they contribute to helping somebody else. In this case, it wasn't me that got stung, <laughs> or it wasn't me that came close to being hit, being bit by a rattlesnake. And so that that kind of thing. But it was it was a situation you, you peeked ahead in time, so to speak. You know, here's the trouble area. Be on the lookout. So, and the assignment I had when I was in Moscow for those three months, there were there were dreams that. That alerted me to certain situations, which I never totally proved that that was going to be a threat, but I, I made sure I avoided them. <laughs> and, you know, I'd never be able to say it. I get out of trouble, but I, I think I, I optimized situations from time to time. So it's, it's these, these kinds of things that, for me, have been really helpful over the years. Now, you know, I still maintain a dream record. I still keep track uh, of dreams and pay attention to what what might be useful for me or, or anybody, not just me. I don't do not do this from a strictly personal level. It's just about my wife and family <clears throat> as well. So, you know, it's little things, but, but that's, to me, important as well, not always the big, spectacular event. Any final words of wisdom for folks listening? Yes, uh, I, I think really what the work in remote viewing has done, which is getting a lot of publicity, and some of the other work, which is not quite as visible, like the dream work, or even some of the previous work uh, that occurred at Duke University in the 30s and 40s, and just playing what I would call intuition. I, I think that. All that work is accumulating as a knowledge base building. And if, if we honor that and, and say they, this is some really serious work that was going on, it's significant from not just simply applying it in a government spiral, but in our own lives, you know, we, we can benefit from this history centuries of work. And move on and, and develop a healthier and a more interactive, valuable role with others and, and improve the health of society. And, and I've talked about not just physical, but mental health as well. And of course, we can always use it to perceive issues that can be prevented, hopefully, and avoided. 
but I think it's just a personal thing. We 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 can we can enhance our overall talents, and that flows into creativity in general, not just the side freedom, not just the intuition. Then uh, we can be more energetic and alive, and uh, and active in, in our roles, and as we move through our busy lives. All right, my friend. It was a pleasure meeting you, and hopefully, at some point, I'll be able to either meet you in person or talk to you again. Okay, great, wonderful, pleasant dreams. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We'll see. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.